Amen. Thanks, Nate. Rejoice, ye pure in heart. We have much to rejoice about, even on a gray day like today, don't we? We celebrate the fellowship we have with one another. I enjoy the, the Family Matters class and the Young Marrieds or Not class getting together and having some breakfast this morning. And uh, those strusel, strudel muffins, what were they, Lynn? Those were, is Lynn, where is Lynn? Man, those were, they were incredible. I thank you for, for that. We have a lot to rejoice about. Not only do we fellowship as the body of Christ, but we celebrate a risen Lord. We have a champion who is greater than anything else in the world, and that is what we're going to talk about today as we continue our series in Hebrews. We're in the book of Hebrews all throughout November as we explore the amazing ways that Jesus is greater than whatever you want to put in the blank there. You can fill in the blank with anything because Jesus is superior to it all. The supremacy of Christ is the thesis of Hebrews. So let's start by reading God's Word together this morning. Why don't we stand out of respect for God's Word if you're able to. If you had surgery this week, it's okay, Marcy. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. This, this book of Hebrews is, a, is a, a theological masterpiece. It's such a beautifully written book. And we mentioned last week how we have no consensus among biblical scholars as to who the author of Hebrews may be. I told you my theory that I think it's Priscilla. It's not my theory. Some other brilliant people agree that it's Priscilla, and I happen to agree with them. And it appears that this anonymous author is writing to a group of Jewish converts to Christianity because there's so many uh, allusions to the Old Testament. There's so many references to the Hebrew Bible. I know that the teenagers this week had a D now. There's a lot that happens in these walls. Uh, I saw you know, Rob Caldwell spent the night last night with the uh, Room in the Inn guys. So if you guys are getting sleepy during the sermon, it's a short one today, okay? So hang in there. You can give somebody an elbow if you need to. Robert, you just give him an elbow if he starts nodding off. He had a big cup of coffee today, so should be okay. But the, uh, the author of Hebrews is writing to this group of Jewish Christians and we know that in Rome, it may be that they were in Rome. Some scholars think that's where they were. But the Roman Empire, which encompassed most of the known world at that time, uh, was persecuting Christians severely. They had sort of carved out a niche for, for Jews. Jews kind of were accepted in their own little kind of weird way. But Jewish Christians didn't fit in anywhere. So this group of Hebrews were greatly persecuted. We know from the text that that their property was seized from them, that they experienced imprisonment un unjustly, that they were beaten, that they were 
um, thrown out of their cities, exiled, never to return. This group is struggling. They're, they're really defeated and, and, and deflated. What do, you, what do you say to a group like that? Th- this group is just struggling to survive. And, and I, I can imagine that a lot of them were thinking, why are we following this Jesus guy again? Why don't we just go back to the whole Judaism thing? It was kind of nice, you know, when, when you know, we were Jews, we, we got to, Moses gave us manna and quail from heaven. But now if we just simply say Jesus Christ is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord, then we're killed. We're, we're exiled from our, our homes. Our families are persecuted severely just by confessing Christ as Lord. I wish we could get back to the good old days. When life was simple, we would go up to the temple. Remember those days? We'd go to Jerusalem for the feast and the festivals. Those were fun. Our kids were in vacation Torah school together. That was, those were beautiful, fun days. I wish we could go back. I hear people in Christian churches talk that way sometimes about the glory days too. So what do you say to a group like this in order to help them move forward as God would have them to? Well, you remind them of their champion. You remind them of their hero, the one who solidifies and guarantees the return of their faith. You remind them of the hope they now have in the one who is vastly superior to any alternative and who will make the glory days eventually look like really horrible gray days. (laughs) You remind them of the deeper reality that lies beneath the appearance of things that are seen. The, The gentle pastor of Hebrews, the author who's writing here to this group, doesn't slam Judaism. He doesn't vilify their heroes like Moses. He simply is reminding them here that of Moses' humanity versus Jesus Christ's divinity. That in, in light of who Jesus Christ is as the Son of God, that their champion now is so much more above and beyond any hero of the faith prior. I'm sure a lot of you here today are like me. You've maybe been a Christian for a long time. Most of your lives, probably, you've been a Christian. I'm sure there's some of you here who accepted the free gift of salvation that's offered through Jesus Christ as Lord maybe 50 years ago, maybe 60 years ago, 70 years ago, some of you here. We have a lot of saints who have walked this road for a long time. But no matter what your situation is, maybe some of you here have not ever accepted Christ at all. Maybe some of you have no real relationship with Jesus at all, ever to speak of. Others of you here say you're a Christian, maybe because you go to church regularly, you may even tithe, you may give some funds, you may even serve in different ministries of the church, but you don't ever have a prayer with Jesus. You have no real love relationship with Jesus. Some of you may never have really bought into this whole Jesus-Messiah concept to begin with. Well, whoever you are today, the writer of Hebrews clearly confronts us all with a choice. Is Jesus Christ really, truly better than? Is he greater than? Is he superior to anything else that this world has to offer? This is really what Hebrews is all about. Yeah, it's, it's cool you know, how Hebrews breaks down how the new covenant is superior to the old covenant and how it fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament. That stuff's neat and it's fascinating. But the real core of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is superior 
to everything else. We have to believe that in our heart of hearts in order to get what this whole Christianity thing is about. If we don't believe that Jesus is greater than everything else, we may be missing the boat on this whole Christianity thing. Because at the center of our faith is a Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of the Most High, the founder and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews 12 says. Hebrews calls us to remember how truly great he is. And last week we saw how Jesus is superior to the angels, how he's so much far above the heavenly beings that surround our Lord and that they still carry out their work of praising God day in, day out. But Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of God the Father because he has accomplished the work of salvation that he came to earth in order to do the work of the Father. He finished it. He said on the cross, it is finished. So therefore, when he ascended back into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And one reason why this matters, that Jesus is superior to the angels, I kind of gave two little uh, reasons why it matters at the end of the, the sermon, but one reason why it matters is because the angels were the mediators of the law. They're the ones who, who gave the revelation of the law to Moses, right? They're the ones who, who gave the whole system of, of laws and rituals and sacrifices that, that God established with his people, and it defined the people of God for 1,500 years, this system. And the angels were the, the ones who revealed that covenant. But that, that covenant ultimately fails to make us holy, to redeem us. It only serves to show us just how far short we fall of that standard of holiness of God himself. But everything changed when God sent his own son in the flesh to earth in order to give us a better word. He brought us not a word of law or, or condemnation or follow the rules or be good enough so you can go to heaven. He gave us a word instead of grace and truth. He ushered in a, a whole new covenant, which he said would never pass away. And he sealed that covenant with his death and resurrection. So yes, Jesus is greater than the angels who brought the message. But what about the one who received the message? What about the one whom they were coming to? Moses himself, the man in the Old Testament. Moses was the greatest prophet of all time, of all time. I mean, this is the guy who, who stood up to Pharaoh, right, with that Charlton Heston, I always think of that jawline, let my people go. You know, that's, that's what I think of when I think of Moses. He's the one who, who kept calling down the plagues from heaven on the most powerful empire of that time, on the Egyptians. He's the one who threw his staff down at the foot of Pharaoh and turned into a snake. He's the one who, who turned the, the Nile into a river of blood and, and who told the people to, to paint the blood of a, a spotless lamb on the doorpost of their house so the angel of death would pass over them that led up to the miraculous exodus. He's the one who lifted up his hands then and parted the sea and led, scholars think, anywhere between two to three million Israelites through the Red Sea Road between the walls of water, only to turn around once all his people were safely through and watch the waves come crashing in and destroy the Egyptian army. And as if this miraculous exodus wasn't enough, Moses then leads them through the promised land, providing for them manna and quail, and leads them to Mount Sinai, 
where they experience fire and smoke and the Lord shows up in a powerful way. And there the angels reveal the law to Moses. What, what Moses was shown there on that mountain makes up at least three-fourths of the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of our Bible. The Pentateuch, the law, the books of the law that define the Hebrew people for centuries, for millennia. And, and contrary to the Charlton Heston movie, the, the Bible says that Moses didn't just come down one time with two tablets, right? But that he kept coming back and forth. He kept coming down from the mountain with more laws, more revelations from God. And, and those revelations became the whole system of sacrifices and ritualistic worship at the temple. He's clearly a special guy. From the initial calling he received as a, a shepherd, on the slopes there in Exodus chapter 3 with a burning bush where God shows up and tells him to take his shoes off because he's on holy ground to, to the end of his life on the plains of Moab where he's giving a sermon to God's people before they enter the promised land. He's clearly an amazing man of God. So listen to how God himself compares Moses to all the other prophets in the Bible in Numbers chapter 12. It'll be on the screen. He says this, Verse 6, God said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Wow. No other prophet was given this kind of privileged position to, to be intimate with the Lord, to see His face. Moses would come out from the tent of meeting with his face glowing, shining because of the imminence of the Shekinah glory which he had just encountered there in the tent. So how does Moses stack up then against Jesus? Well, at the beginning of this passage here in chapter 3, the author calls for those of us who are now brothers and sisters. By the way, the word there in Greek uh, is adelphoi. It means brothers and sisters. So, ladies, you're absolutely included in that. Who are now brothers and sisters in the family of God. He says, hey, you brothers and sisters who are now part of this house, this family of God, consider Jesus. Think about our Messiah. Ponder the, the anointed one. The, the apostle, which means the sent one, and the great high priest, the, the mediator of the new covenant, the one who goes between God and us on our behalf. And, and this new covenant is what we now refer to as the gospel, the, the good news that God did not abandon us to try to manage our sin problem with a system of ritualistic sacrifices, but instead entered into our humanity taking on flesh, becoming like us in form, 100% God and 100% human at the same time. And he became the spotless lamb on our behalf. He paid the price that we could never have paid and yet we still owed. That life alone would atone for sin and he gave his life so that we could have abundant life. In exchange for the sins of the world that were laid on his shoulders, he gives us, he imputes to us, theologians say, his righteousness that he earned so that now we have the righteousness of Christ and can be called co-heirs with the Son of God. That's good news. 
This is why we rejoice, ye pure in heart, today. This is the new covenant, the gospel. This is the confession that we now proclaim. Whenever we baptize someone up here, we always ask them, what is your confession? And they say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's master. He's in charge of everything, of my heart, my soul, my life, and the universe. I'm dying to myself so I can live to him in a whole new kind of humanity, a whole new kind of life. They confess the gospel truth of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say that in both of these roles, the the, the messenger, the apostle, the sent one, and the high priest roles, that Jesus was faithful. He did what he was supposed to do in both those roles. The faithfulness of a messenger is measured by his ability to carry out the one who sends him his orders. Jesus, of course, was faithful to, to give us the good news. When Jesus was praying in the upper room with his disciples in John chapter 17, verse 4, he says this. He says, God, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's why he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. He was faithful to complete the work that God had given him, which results in glory, of course, to the Father. Then we also saw how he was a faithful high priest last week in Hebrews chapter 10. So as a a messenger, he completed God's message, and now as a high priest. Look at chapter 10, verse 11 of Hebrews. It says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's you and me, by the way. Messenger, check. High priest, check. But Moses, too, also was faithful as a messenger and as a high priest. Despite the fact that Moses' brother Aaron was supposed to be the priest, we see over and over again in the Torah that it was Moses, not Aaron, who interceded to God on behalf of the people, as a priest would. He was the go-between between the people of God and God himself. He was the one who acted more like a priest. And we saw earlier in Numbers how Moses was special, right? God said, I meet with him mouth to mouth, face to face. He said that Moses is faithful in all my house. <clears throat> the, the Hebrew text says something like, Moses is entrusted with all my house. It's like Moses is in charge of all my house. It's like he's the chief steward, the butler of God's house. He's like Mr. Carson and Downton Abbey or Alfred and Wayne Manor who takes such good care of Bruce Wayne and Wayne Manor. It's an incredibly important position, isn't it? The, the, the chief steward of the house to be in charge of the whole property is a big deal. And in God's house, we know that, that in Scripture it says it's not a building, it's not a geographic location. God's house are the people of God. It's you and me. We, we comprise God's house. God's people are his house. It says in verse 6 of, that we just read, we are his house. And Moses was in charge of God's people. And yet, great as Moses was, as the chief steward of, of God's people, the, the shepherd who led them through the wilderness and 
and out of Egypt and to the promised land, as great as he was and as faithful as he was, he is still a servant. Jesus is the Son of God. And, and, and God and Jesus, along with the Holy Spirit, are the ones who established the house from the beginning. They're the ones who built the house, who created the house. It was their genius. It was their, their creative plan and power that enabled the house to come to fruition in the first place. Look at verses 3 and 4 again in our Hebrews 3 passage. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. What this tells us is that the one who established the house, the one who created the house, is always greater than the structure itself, right? How much more important is the builder of the house than the chief steward of the house? Look at verse 5 going on. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Jesus' name is son. His identity is son. This, this means that the son's authority is vastly greater than the servant's authority. This means that the, the, servant's, the son's inheritance is vastly greater than the servant's inheritance. This means that the, the son's relationship with the father is vastly greater than the servant's relationship with the father. But it says here that, that Moses was faithful in God's house, quote, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. What does that mean? Well, it means that Moses received the law from the angels and established this system of, of sacrifices and <coughs> temple worship and laws that would lead up to the need for Christ. The, the gospel doesn't replace the old covenant. It fulfills it. It, it doesn't... It doesn't remove it. It, it. Jesus said not one little I or T would cross away before he would fulfill the law, not replace it. The old covenant that Moses administrated foreshadowed the new covenant that was to come. And we said that the house that Moses was in charge of was God's people. So who is the house of God now? Well, it's the same house still. But Jesus presides over the house now, and it's different. In the Old Covenant, God's house started with one guy, Abraham. God says in Genesis 12 to one guy, hey, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I'm going to use your family to be a conduit of blessing to the rest of the world. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, Genesis 12, 3. But now, the family of God has been extended past far beyond the Jewish people alone. By the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, now the people of God exist on nearly every corner of this planet. We know that God's family now resides in the Philippines, in Madagascar, where Rachel Gregory, our children's minister, served, in Taiwan, in Australia, in Canada, just about every corner of the globe. Look at the rest of verse 6, too. It says, We are his house, if indeed... We hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. It says, yes, we are God's house now, but it's conditional. What's the condition? You are going to be God's house if. 
you persevere, if you indeed hold fast your confidence and your boasting in your hope. There's this theme all throughout the book of Hebrews of perseverance. These Christians who are tempted to return to their old way of life. These Christians who are experiencing great hardships because of their faith are are told over and over again in Hebrews, keep going, persevere, one day at a time, keep plugging away. The life of faith is not easy, but it's worth it. Keep persevering. You know, just just because you've walked the aisle, maybe in this place, maybe another place, maybe just because you've been baptized at some point in your life, doesn't mean that you're right with God, does it? Like I mentioned earlier, just because you may attend church regularly doesn't mean you're part of the household of God. As, as Christians, we hold closely to the doctrine known as the perseverance of the saints. This means that once you're a part of the saints, the household of God, you will persevere till the end, that God will hold you fast. But there's a parallel teaching that's important to remember along with this doctrine that says, yes, the perseverance of the saints is true, but the, the saints who persevere will be the final saints. When Jesus told the parable of the sower, remember this, Mark chapter 4, he, he said the sower was scattering seed and that some of the seed fell on rocky ground. What happened to that seed? Do you remember? It sprang up quickly. Verse 5 in, in Mark chapter 4 says, other seed fell on rock, rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. What keeps us rooted in our faith? What keeps us rooted in the household of God? It's our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 15, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. And this, this life we live, we live by faith, not by sight. That means we, we don't see Jesus physically in the flesh now, at least I haven't. But we, we believe that he's a deeper reality than the things that we do see. And we hold tightly to that faith that we, we proclaim is by faith and not by sight. We still believe that even though we can't see him, he's still our champion. We say he is still greater than anything else in this world, anything that you can see. And we should rejoice over this and not not be ashamed of him, but to proclaim the excellencies of Christ and his goodness. Which brings us back to the invitation that I gave at the beginning. Do you rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ today? Do you love him more and more as you grow and as you mature in your Christian walk If not, then then we're missing the central key of this whole Christian life, aren't we? The seed of of truth and love and grace that the sower has sown will never bear fruit in our lives if we aren't firmly rooted in good soil by our faith in Jesus Christ. So maybe today you feel stagnant in your faith. Maybe you feel like you're just spinning your wheels on this whole Christianity thing. Maybe you're struggling with with pain physically or emotionally today. Maybe you're, you're wrestling with addiction. Maybe you're, you're going through marriage issues or maybe you're just going through a real season of worry or anxiety or loneliness. Maybe your, your relationships with your friends are not what they need to be. Maybe your job is, is so frustrating to you. 
I would invite you today to renew your relationship with Jesus Christ. Run into his open arms. This Trey prayed earlier about the orphans who are going to run into Christ's arms. He stands waiting. Will you run into his open arms just like you did the first time when you gave your life to him? Or maybe you've never done it. Whatever you need to do this morning, let's pray now. And I'm going to give some time of silence. Or you can just pray. Maybe you need to renew your faith in Christ today. Whatever you need to do and, and, and tell Jesus, do that now as we pray in silence. And then I'll close this. Oh, Lord, our God, you are high and exalted over all the earth, and yet you have created a people for yourself. You've built a house. You've established a community of faith, and that includes us now by the grace that you've extended to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us to hold fast to our confession that Christ is greater than anything else in this world. Help us to renew our relationship, our love relationship with you, O oh God, through Jesus Christ. Forgive us for choosing things of this world. May we fix our eyes on you, the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. God, we do confess that Jesus is superior, that he is greater, that he is better than anything else this world has. Help us to live that out and bear fruit to that truth in our lives as we stay rooted in the soil of faith in you, O oh God. We pray this in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ this morning. I think when we turn our gaze to see him, that the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I'll be here to receive anyone who needs to come forward.